Here we go. Um, we're on part five of follow, and uh, my message this morning is called, I want to want. I want to want. You know, if I was really honest with you this morning, um, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was seven years of age, um, it was really purely a selfish motive. Basically, somebody came along to me and said to me, Craig, do you want to go to heaven? And I'm like, yep. And so I gave my life to Christ and said the prayer and did all that sort of stuff because I wanted to go to heaven. Just about every single one of us make a decision for Christ for selfish reasons, really. If we're really honest with ourselves, most of us make a decision. And, and when I was asked if I wanted to go to heaven and give my life to Christ, I, I was more than happy to do that because my dad would come home sometimes and he was a pastor and he'd share about what sin had done in some people's lives. He wouldn't use their names, but he'd he'd kind of share some things that he was dealing with. And when I heard what sin does to somebody's life, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go to heaven. But it was purely a selfish reason. It wasn't, I didn't give my life to Christ because I loved him or, or because, you know, it was just like, I just don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And most of us uh, sometimes make that kind of the decision. I don't want you to put your hand up this morning. And and so I, I, I've continued that thing on with my kids, and I go home and I talk to them about some of the emails that I get from you guys and tell them about the way they've stuffed up your lives. No, I'm just joking. And, um, and even sometimes I change the name to protect the innocent. No, I'm just joking. I don't really do that. I'm just trying to freak you out this morning. But the thing is, is this, is that I think just about every single one of us, when we make the decision to start to follow Jesus, it really comes from a position of what Jesus can do for me what he can do for me. And so I'm going to give my life to Christ because he can do this for me. He can save me from this and he can save me from that. And so our main reason for choosing to follow Christ right in the first instant is always a consumeristic reasoning. It's because he can do something for us that we need. Is that right? All right. Me and Isaac are on the same page. And we kind of had a look at this whole thing about being a consumer rather than being a follower. Last week, when we looked at this really tough scripture, which sounds really horrible, but really it's not that horrible, and it's in Mark 8.33, and Peter had just told Jesus, because Jesus just declared that he's going to die on the cross, and Peter's like, mate, mate, stop talking negative, come, along, come over here to one side, you're not going to die, you know, da, 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 and was trying to talk Jesus out of the process that he had to go through, and it says, and Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> it's like one of the, that's a big call, isn't it? just thought of something that I could say, but I'm not going to. Anyway, and he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so it's not so much that he said, get behind me, Satan. We get hung up on that. The, the thing that he was rebuking Peter about was that Peter's concerns were human concerns. They're about concerns that Peter had concerns about, rather than Peter's concerns being on what heaven was trying to do, what God was trying to accomplish. And he's really saying to Peter here, he says, man, you, you, you're a consumer. You, you're following me because of what you can get out of it. And at some point, Pete, you're going to have to actually open up your hands of this thing that you're gripping so tightly and let go of your agenda so that I can put my agenda into your hands for your life. And he's, he's really saying, Peter, you've got to get your mind off yourself and really onto what God is trying to do. And you know, it's actually okay to start off as a consumer. It's actually okay to start off 
and following Jesus because of what we can get out of it. Everybody starts that way, really. And that's okay. What's not okay is if we stay in that place. If we stay in the position where we just consume all the time, and so we're following Jesus for what we can get out of it. And Jesus is, in Matthew 19, he has this little story about why it's hard for rich people to get into heaven, and I want to show you something of Peter's mindset as we go through that. And in Matthew 19, 23, it said, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, most of you are sitting here right now and going, that doesn't include me because I'm not rich. Um, if you earn $45,000 or more a year, you're in the top 4% wage earners in the world. Nobody gets excited when I say that because that doesn't feel rich, does it? But it certainly does when you're in a place like Vanuatu where the average wage is about 50 bucks a day. So, you know, we, we disassociate this because we think rich is, is wealthy and not us, but Jesus is actually talking to all of us. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so Peter's heard this teaching, and he's kind of at the end of the teaching. He's probably thinking to himself, I had the opportunity to take over my father's fishing business and probably be quite wealthy, um, but I chose to follow you. And then Peter says this right after Jesus says that. And it's in verse 27. And Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In other words, what am I going to get out of this? I've given up so much. What am I going to get out of this? Peter, you understand, Peter is a follower of Christ. He's really close to him. He is, he is in his presence. He can touch him. He can put his hand on his shoulder. All those things that you and I can't do because, because Jesus isn't here in the flesh, but he's here in the spirit. But Peter is still at this place in this journey where he's just like, hey, 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 I've given up everything to follow you. What, what's our benefit? What do, I, what do I get out of this? You know, he's still got that consumer mindset. And we know also that right at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Scripture teaches us that every single one of his followers and that moment that he was arrested unfollowed him. It's like they went on Facebook and unfollow, unfriend, every single one of them. And the reason why they unfollowed him in that moment is because if he's getting arrested, I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to go to prison. So they all abandoned him. They all left him because there's no benefit now for us to continue following you because you're, you're arrested now. See ya, I don't want to be ya. And they got out of there. And they all abandoned Jesus at the same time. And the reason why they abandoned him is because they were consumers instead of followers. They followed for as long as it worked out for them. And, and you know what? That's an okay way to start, but it's not an okay way to continue. The great news is, is at the end of the New Testament, all those guys had come back. They'd all come back into the fold and Jesus... Jesus had abandoned them, and these got, uh, had not abandoned. Jesus had forgiven them for abandoning him. He forgave every single one of them. And then these guys that abandoned him, these guys that were cowards, then pursued Jesus with all that they had, and they went into Jerusalem and the known world at the time, and they gave their lives. They literally gave their lives for not for what Jesus taught, 
but they gave their lives for what they saw. They literally gave their lives. Peter was crucified upside down. Others were boiled in pots of oil. They literally gave their lives. And why did they give their lives? Not because of what they heard, but because of what they saw. And not because they saw Jesus crucified. They'd seen plenty of people crucified in their lives, but because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And in that moment, something happened on the inside of them when they saw the resurrected Jesus that said, whoa, I can't be a consumer anymore. I gotta be a follower. And they gave up their personal agenda and they embraced God's agenda for their lives and for this world and they became fully devoted followers of Jesus. The thing is, is that it took a while, you know. It was three years Jesus had died and be resurrected again for them to get to this place, to get to this point. It was a process. And like I said, it's okay to start out following Jesus because of what he can do for you. But at some point in the journey, we've got to get beyond that so that we can become a follower and not just a consumer. And so it was a process for these guys, but not all of the 12 disciples actually were able to do this because there was a guy called Judas. His name was Judas Iscariot, and he, he was um, a zealot initially. A zealot was like the, the ones that really believed that, that the Messiah was going to come and raise up an army that would help them to get out from under the rule of the Romans. There's all sorts of different disciples here. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. We know that Peter, James, and John were fishermen. We know, uh, you know, we doubt Thomas did anything. Um, some of you are a bit slow to get to that. He is called Doubting Thomas. It's not a good joke when you have to explain the joke, but anyway, we'll keep moving. And so Judas actually saw Jesus the same way as all the disciples because they actually believed, every single one of them actually believed, if you read through the commentaries and what scholars say, they actually believed that Jesus was going to take Israel back from the Romans and become the king of Israel again. They literally believed that he would, through political wrangling and raising an army, would get the Jewish people out from under the control of the Roman rule, and that they'll once again be under the leadership of an Israeli king. They, they saw Jesus not as dying on the cross for their sin. They actually saw him as a political figure that would eventually become king of Israel and get them out from under the rule of the, of the Romans. And, you know, Judas and his disciples, they actually believed that Jesus was this guy that they were waiting for, the Messiah, the guy that was going to do this, the guy that they had been waiting for. And so they're following him around, but they're waiting for him, really, in those three years, waiting for him to eventually stand up and go, yo, I'm the king of the Jews and I'm here to save you from the Romans. But Jesus never did that. And they just kept following him, waiting and waiting and waiting and and even in all of that, they still saw Jesus, especially Judas, as a means to an end. It was Judas understood that as Jesus rose to power, so would all of his mates rise to power with him. They all saw this as an opportunity for them. And so Judas, like the others, is, is watching and wondering, when is all of this going to happen? And if you read the Gospels, there's plenty of questions 
they, they ask about when is this going to happen? Because they thought that this was going to be a physical thing. They thought that it was going to be like an army and a political thing and that Jesus was going to save them from under the rule of the, of the, of the Romans. And then something happens in the story of Jesus, which is like the straw that broke the camel's back as far as Judas was concerned. And it's in Matthew 26, verse 6 to 8. Are you all right this morning? We're getting somewhere. I'm just going to lay you some foundation first. It says here, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. Isn't that nice? Yo, Simon the leper. It's like, I would prefer some other name, but anyway, that's what they call him, Simon the leper. Um, you, you hope to think that he was a leper and he's now been healed because they're going to a leper's house. So if he is healed, why are they still... Uh, anyway, this is how my brain works. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his, that is Jesus' head, as he was reclining at the table. And the disciples saw this. They were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. The perfume could have been sold at a high price and money given to the poor. Now, this is a bit of an awkward moment, isn't it? They obviously knew these people quite well um, because, you know, you wouldn't kind of say that. Like if I came over to um, the Dooley's house and we were over there for dinner and, um, and then comes out the silverware, you know, their silver plates and their silver cutlery and, and, um, and the gold trim goblets and all that sort of stuff that they have, uh, no, they don't really. But if they did, and they brought that out and started, and, and could you imagine the awkwardness of I'm like, silver plates, gold encrusted goblets, that could be sold and given to the poor. That's really what's happening this way. Could you imagine the awkwardness at dinner time if I did that to the doolies? It'd be like, that's rude, yes? <laughs> My mum would be like giving me that look of when you get home, you're going to get a butt whipping. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's just rude. And this is what they're saying right here. And and, and this is Matthew's account of the story that the disciples were upset about this. But there's something in John's account of the story that just sheds a little bit of a different light. And it's in John 12, 4 to 5, same story. And it says, you know, they're at the house, the alabaster box and all that sort of stuff. But it says this, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold as it is a year's wages and given to the poor? Now you can imagine John's trying to show a little bit of a picture here because in Matthew, it's like all the disciples are upset, but John's trying to show it started with Judas. It'll be like, Pete, what do you reckon about this? That should have been sold and given to the poor. What do you think, James? John? You can imagine he's starting to wind them up, stir them up a little bit about this so-called waste that he believed was happening. He, he's the instigator. He's the guy that's trying to get this whole thing going on. Judas is just the disciple that gets this whole thing happening. But, but Judas didn't say it because he cared about the poor, because we know that in verse 6 of 12 uh, of John, it says this, this about Judas. He says, then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. And so John is saying here, you've got to understand that when Judas said this, it wasn't because he cared about the poor. It wasn't because he cared about any of that. 
he cared about the fact that if she sold it, that the money would then come to them. Because for some reason, when the disciples got together, Judas volunteered to be the treasurer to look after the books. And, and, it, and, and it was never going to be Matthew, the tax collector. Hey? And if I jump on my earlier joke, I doubt Thomas could even add. So it had to be Judas. Judas that did it. But and what he would do is all the money that came in, Judas would take a little cut for himself and put it in his back pocket. So it wasn't that he cared about the poor. He was just looking at how much of a cut he could get from this money that the oil could have been sold for. Now, here's the crazy thing that I think is so crazy about this story is we've got to remember that Judas is one of the disciples. He's one of Jesus' close disciples. He's, he's an apostle. He has been part of the team that's been sent out to see the blind see and the deaf hear and the dead raised to life. He's seen Jesus heal the blind. He's seen Jesus raise the dead. He's seen Jesus feed the 5,000 with, with you know, fish and loaves of a, of a schoolboy's lunch. He's seen all of this amazing stuff that Jesus is doing, but Judas' personal agenda was so strong that he was able to follow Jesus and at the same time use him for his own means. Judas' personal agenda was so strong that even seeing everything that Jesus did, understanding that he was the Messiah, understanding that he was who he was, his personal agenda was so strong that he still just used Jesus for his own means. That's scary, isn't it? Scary that you could be in a place where you know God so well and Jesus so well, but you just use him for yourself. I think that's a scary place to get to. And I think the scary thing about it is that there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. In Matthew 26, the story goes on and Verse 10 to 12, it says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, it's, the problem is, you know, like, you can't have a whispered conversation around Jesus because he just always hears. Yeah? He always hears. Every time they're off on the corner having a whisper, what is he doing? Jesus will go, he heard what they said, and so he answered them. It's like, you might as well just ask him because he always hears. He hears everything. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. We've heard that quoted a lot. The poor you will always have with you. Politicians quote that out of context. But you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial Truly I tell you, whenever this gospel is preached, whenever the story of Jesus is talked about throughout the entire world, from here on in, he's really saying, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? That Jesus right in that moment said, from this day on, because of what she did from me and a memory of her, that wherever the story of Jesus is talked about all around the world for the ages to come, this story will be told about her. We're actually fulfilling that scripture right here this morning as we talk about it. Isn't that cool? And then it goes on and it says in verse 14 to 16, then one of the 12, the one called 
Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I will deliver him over to you? It's not that they couldn't find Jesus, it's just that Jesus was always surrounded by people. Could you imagine trying to go and arrest Jesus when he's got crowds around him being healed, delivered, and, and set? Yeah, it would be a little bit difficult. They had to find a moment where he was on his own so that they could get him. And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You see, I think what happened in the story when Judas saw what was going on with the alabaster box and, the, and how it could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. And I, I think Judas just had a moment where he just had enough. I, I've been waiting three years for you, Jesus, to finally stand up and declare who you are, get this ball rolling, get this whole thing going on, rise in political power, get ourselves from under the rule of the Romans. You know, when, when are you finally going to do this? I'm sick of waiting around for this. If you're just going to waste money, if you're just going to, uh, if you just don't care anymore about this whole thing about being the Messiah and overthrowing the Romans and removing your rabbi clothes and putting on your royal clothes, if you're just no longer interested in doing this, I'm done. I'm done. I've had enough. I, uh, you know, like I'm just done with this. Now, a lot of people have speculated over the years as to why would Judas betray Jesus. Maybe Judas didn't have a choice because that was his God-given destiny or whatever it was because somebody had to betray him. Maybe he didn't have a choice. I actually think uh, from reading a lot of what different commentaries and different scholars and different forefathers of our faith and that wrote about Judas is I actually think that the only thing that we can think about that makes sense that Judas would do this is that Judas thought by handing him over to the chief priests it would speed the process up. It, it, it would force Jesus to declare himself as he, who he really was. Because he knew handing them over to the chief priests and to the high priests, Jesus understood, uh, Judas understood, that they didn't have the authority under Roman rule to put anybody to death. So he, he, he probably did this with this thought, nothing bad could happen to Jesus because they can't kill him. And maybe this will force him. Maybe this will force Jesus to actually declare that he's the king of Israel and we can get the ball rolling. We can get this thing happening. We can get this whole thing cracking into place. You know, he, he actually believed that nothing bad was going to happen to Jesus. He was just trying to speed up the whole process. Doesn't that sound like you and I sometimes? We try to force God's hand to speed up the process. I, I know that there's a breakthrough coming, God, but let me just help you. I, I know you were promises that if I look after your house, you'll look after my house, but let me just help you. Yes? It's just me, obviously. And so the story goes on, and it says Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And this is when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knows that they're about to go there. So he goes and gets the chief priests and tells them to bring their guards and everything. It says, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal, that is, Judas, with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once... To Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. 
and kissed him. And we understand that Jesus was arrested in that moment, and the Bible says that all of the disciples fled, unfollowed him, abandoned him. And Peter, it says that he followed from a distance. And we know that Peter went on to deny him a little bit later. We come further into the story, Matthew 27, verse 1, and it's the next morning after Jesus has been arrested, and it says this early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. <laughs> uh, are we, we going to have a trial? No, just going to execute him. They, they had already trialed him. They had already decided what they were going to do with him. And because they understood that they didn't have the authority to have him killed, they go on and so they bound him and led him away and handed him over the Pilate, the governor, now, Pilate did have the authority to have Jesus executed, and this is where Judas' plan fell over. You see, because he thought, as long as the chief priests had got him, this could really force Jesus' hand and make Jesus declare who he is and what he's, what he's doing. It, it'll speed this process up, we can get the ball rolling, and we can make this thing happen. What he didn't realize is that they were going to hand him over to Pilate. And now all of a sudden he realizes, whoa, this is not going to plan. This is not happening. And so in verse 3 it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they responded with, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. That's your problem. Judas in this moment is like, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out. He's not meant to go to Pilate. He's meant to stay with you guys. And this whole thing's meant to force, speed up the whole process of Jesus becoming king. And, and, and this is not what I planned. So I, I want to redo. Let's redo this. Let's go back and change the plans because this is not part of my plan. The plan was not for him to be handed over. You know, uh, it, it, this is not the way that he wants to go back to the time that he betrayed him and change his mind. But here's the thing. There are certain decisions that once you and I make them, there's no way of getting them back. There are some decisions that you and I make in life where we're like, whoa, 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 time out. I want to do a redo. You can't redo decisions you've made. You can't, you can't claw decisions back. You can't get them back. You can get forgiveness for them, but you can't get them to come back. You can't unmake them. You can't redo them. You can just get forgiveness for them. And so it goes on, and it says, So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And he went away, and he hung himself. And so we come to this point in the story where Judas is gone. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus is gone. You know, I say all of that to say what I'm about to say in the next six minutes. And that is this. When it comes to following Jesus, there comes a time where what you want and what he wants clash. And depending on your response in that moment depends on whether you're a consumer or a follower because if there's one thing we can learn from the story of Judas is that God's hand can't be forced. 
and his will cannot be thwarted. You cannot force God to do what you want him to do, and you cannot change around his will. See, Judas is trying to force his will on Jesus. He's trying to get this whole thing to happen, but in the process of trying to force his will on Jesus, he becomes an accidental player in the story of our salvation and yours and my salvation. And God's will is actually accomplished through Judas' horrible decision. You see, there was a clash of agendas. And in the clash of agendas, God's will happened. Judas tried to force his will, but God's will happened. So when we understand this, what has this got to do with you and I? Well, because what it has to do with you and I is what I said earlier, that we all start following Jesus this way. We all start as consumers. We all start following him because of what he can do for us or what we can get out of him. You know, it's a little bit like this. Jesus, I I have a plan for my life, and I really need you to help me make it happen. Yeah? I have a will for my life, and I'd like to think that my will and your will line up, but if they don't, then my will be done. I, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life it's been, um, no, no, Jesus, you don't understand. That's not my will. That's your will. You need to get on my will. Yes? Don't you have that even as parents? I want to go to, no, honey, we're not doing that. Mum, Dad, you need to get on to my plan. You're on the wrong plan. My plan is McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You don't understand. That's my plan. Get on board. You know? We do that with God. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You need to get on board with my plan. And over time, as you follow Jesus, we discover that there is this conflict between my will and thy will. And it is in this conflict that we learn so much about ourselves. And the crazy thing is that we learn in this conflict that there's actually a little bit of Judas in all of us. There's a little bit of Judas in all of our stories because I don't know about you, but I don't like to bend my agenda to God's agenda. I, I got plans, yes? Anybody else got plans? And God just needs to get on board with my plans. Yes? But because it competing agendas, I can't have my will and God's will. And what happens, and the reason why this is so hard, is because it feels like there's a war going on on the inside of you, yes? Have you you ever had that moment where you know this is what God wants you to do, but you really want to do this, and you're like, oh, and it's just like, and people go, what's wrong? I don't know what's wrong! And on the inside, it's like, it's like there's this war going on on the inside of you because your flesh is wanting to do one thing but your spirit's wanting to do something else and we're just like and it's in those defining moments I believe that you discover whose you are not who you are but whose you are I believe in those defining moments is when you discover who you truly belong to It's in those moments that you discover whether you're a consumer or whether you've become a follower. 
And you eventually come to this place where you can say this in your Christian walk, I want what you want more than what I want. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? If this cup can be taken from me, if there's any other way other than being crucified, can we do that? Because I kind of prefer that. But not my will, your will be done. In other words, he said, I want to want more. I want you to... I knew this was going to be a tongue twister, but I loved it so much that I thought I'd pull it out. I want what you want more than what I want. What a Jesus follower says is, I want what you want more than what I want. Now, because I love you, and because I'm your pastor, and because I'm a sinner just like you guys are, I'm this morning going to give you some wriggle room in this whole concept, so you just got to say, thank you, Craig. You're, you're welcome. Just trying to help. Because you know what? This is really, really tough, isn't it? This is the toughest thing I think you ever do in following Christ. When you go, okay, I really want to do this, but I'll do what you want. It's the toughest decisions you ever make are always those decisions. And so here's the wiggle room for you, all right? Here's the wiggle room. I want to want what you want more than what I want. In other words, I want to want what you want more than I want, but I'm not sure I can. It's like that moment where it's like, God, to be honest, I want to want what you want, but I'm not sure I can want what you want because I want what I want, but I want to want what you want. Say that 10 times, really, really fast. I really want to want what you want more than I want. You see, we do see this, don't we? We see people make huge steps of faith and huge steps of sacrifice. And we look back and we look at them and we go, wow, that's really, really cool. I, I wish I could do that. I, like, I want to be able to do what, what you want. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to copy that. I'm just not sure I can because I'm not sure I want to do what you want when I want to do what I want. You with me this morning? All the wants got you confused. I mean, it's really that whole thing where it's like, I want that. I, I, I want to want what you want, but, but right now, I, I don't want what you want. I, I really don't. And so the temptation is when we have this battle about what God wants and what I want is that it becomes all too hard. And so instead of dealing with it, what we do is we just walk away from it. We just walk away. The temptation is when we face a situation where we don't want what he wants, is we leave him and we say, I'll see you later. And I've seen that time and time again in church life as I've grown up, where I've seen people walk away from God because they want what they want more than what he wants. And so they walk away because they just can't deal with it. Can I ask you, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, that in that moment, when you're in that moment where you want what you want, not what he wants, can I just ask you just to pause? Just to pause in your life for just a moment. You, you, don't, you don't have to make a decision straight away. Just pause. Just pause enough to pray a prayer similar to this. God, to be honest, 
I want to want what you want more than I want. I want to. I'm just not sure I can. God, to be honest, I don't want to break up with him. God, to be honest, I don't want to shift away. God, to be honest, I don't want to leave that job. God, to be honest, I don't really want to do your will. But, but God, I want to want what you want more than what I want. I want to. I really want to. I really want to want what you want more than what I want. I'm just really struggling. I'm just really, you know what? I think God is such an awesome God that he gets that and he's big enough to deal with that and he's okay with that because you've got to remember that's a mature prayer. A mature prayer is to say to God, I really want to want what you want, but I really want what I want and I'm not sure I can want what you want while I want what I want and I need you to help me in this. I need to take a pause, pause long enough to have you speak to me in this situation because I'm just not really sure where I can do it. And here's the thing, in that pause, in the pause of I want to want what you want more than what I want, in that pause, I want you to remember something, that his plans for you is always good. That he loves you, and his plans for your life are always for good. Because when we end up doing what I want rather than what he wants, It's when we are really saying, I don't trust you with my future. I only trust myself. And I don't know about you, but my future in my hands ends up in a place that I never want it to end up in. But my future in his hands may not be the journey I want, but it will get me where I need to go. Because I really couldn't care less next year, uh, not next year, the year after. I couldn't really care less how I get Trinity to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary as long as I get there. Do I really want to fly there, Australia, Asia, like Rob Tonkin just did where he flew halfway around the world just to go to Singapore? Where did you go? We went up to Taipei and then down to Singapore. It's like, hey, we could go to Singapore and fly 12 hours or we could spend about 30 hours getting there. You know, why not? What's a better place to do than hang out on a plane? Uh, You know, but the thing is, he doesn't care. He got there. He got to the destination. And the thing is, is when it comes to, I want to want what you want more than I want, we have to take that pause and go, to be honest, God, I'm really struggling here, but I need to remember that you always have my best in mind. Always have my best in mind. You see, here's the crazy thing that we need to remember as I finish this morning, and it's God didn't stop Judas from doing what Judas intended to do. You see, people think that God forces us to do all sorts of things. In fact, you talk to most people that don't follow Jesus, and they'll tell you that God makes you give up this, and God makes you give up that, and God makes you... No, He doesn't. Nowhere in Scripture did God ever make anybody do anything. And in Judas' case... He never made Judas do this, but he let Judas do this. God didn't stop Judas from doing what Judas intended to do, but neither did Judas doing what he did stop God from doing what he intended to do. So let me say to you this morning, if you are thinking of situations where you know that you've done something 
that God didn't want you to do, and now you're thinking, because I didn't do what he wanted me to do when he wanted me to do it, now God can't do what he wants to do. Friend, God can do whatever he wants in spite of what you do. What you intend to do does not stop God doing what he intends to do. And in Judas's case, Judas thought that he was getting his way, and in reality, God was just using it to get his way. Are you with me this morning? Which means that God won't stop you from doing what you intend to do either. And I think, really, that should scare the bejeebas out of us, that he will allow us to do or let us do what it is that we intend to do, even though it's not a good outcome for us. But friend, remember this, that he does have a plan for your life, and it's for good, and it's not for evil. And so even though that you make a bad decision, he can still bring about his will in your world. It's just easier when we do what he wants, when he wants, rather than what I want. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to say to you this morning that you can't force your will on God. There's going to come a time in following Jesus where what he wants is not what you want. And you're going to have a moment where it's like, I want to want what you want, but I don't really want what you want. I want what I want. I'm getting good at this now. I want you to pause. And I want you to say, you know what, God, to be honest, I'm really struggling. I want to want what you want more than what I want, but right now I want what I want. But I understand that you always have my best in mind, and so I'm going to take a risk. And even though what you want looks like it could be really, really bad, I'm going to trust you that in doing what you want, it's going to be really, really good because you have good plans for me. You have great plans for me because you can't thought the will of God. And that's a good thing. And it's a good, thing, a good reason why you can't thought the will of God or you can't force your will on God. The reason why that's a good thing is because it means that God is God. Because I don't know about you, but me as God would be a really bad idea. You as God would be a really bad idea. Maybe not so much Pete. But it would be a really bad idea. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I make enough stupid decisions without God directing me as it is. I'm pretty sure that God's plan for my life was like this, and, and I've created this. Oh. And you know what? It's okay to start out that way. It's okay to start out with, what can Jesus do for me? But at some point, to be a follower and not a consumer, you've got to come to a place where it says, you know what? I want what you want more than what I want. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? As I put this message together all week, I saying a trinity, I'm really not happy with this message because I feel like it's like, I wanted something that was like happy. and. But I believe the biggest challenge that we face in following Jesus is when we have our agenda clash with his agenda. 
And I think that what makes us more miserable than anything else in life is when that happens. Because we know that if we do what we want, it may make us happy for a season. But in our heart of hearts, we know that that's not the right way. And we also know that if we choose what he wants, that sometimes it might lead to persecution. Sometimes it might lead to people saying all sorts of things about us. Sometimes it might lead to losing friends or losing relationships. And the problem is, is we care so much about what people think because we want everyone to like us. But friend, the quickest way, the quickest way to lose what God believes, to, to, to forget what God believes about you is to become obsessed with what somebody else believes about you. And what we've got to do is we're just going to get back to this place where we go, you know what, God, to be honest, I want to want what you want more than what I want, but I'm struggling. And I need you to speak to me in the pause. I need you to speak to me in the pause because I want to do what you want, but I'm really struggling. I want to do what you want. I want to do what you want in that relationship. I want to do what you want in my career. I want to do what you want in my job. I want to do what you want with my finances. I want to do what you want as a dad. I want to do what you want as a mom. I want to do what you want as a husband or a wife. I want to. I'm just really, really struggling. And so I'm going to take a pause moment, God, and I'm going to say, help me. And I trust you because you have the best plans for me. And they're always for good and not for evil. So why don't you just close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to just take a moment, just take some time. And I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to just think about, is there something in your world right now where it's like, I want to want what you want, but I'm really struggling. I want to want what God wants, but I'm really struggling. 